Before Hollywood Squares and Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, there was What's My Line, a game show that aired every Sunday evening on CBS in the 50s and 60s. Time now for everybody's favorite guessing game, What's My Line? Celebrity panelists would quiz contestants to guess their line of work, and then, for the bonus round, they wore blindfolds while trying to identify mystery guests like Fred Astaire, Betty Davis, and Ella Fitzgerald. The show's sole sponsor wasn't glamorous like its guests. It was a deodorant called Stopette. Its cursive logo and curvy bottle featured prominently on the show's set. And its creator, a Swiss chemist named Dr. Jules Montagnier, wore a lab coat and sat in front of a microscope for his cameo in the opening credits, presumably to communicate to viewers that he was a legit scientist. Brought to you by New Stopette, America's leading spray deodorant. The lotion spray deodorant created by Dr. Jules Montagnier, world-famous cosmetic chemist. Now, let's all play What's My Line? Stopette hit shelves in 1947 and became a bestseller. Its popularity was fueled in part by its exposure on the game show. I think the fact that television was a new medium gave an edge to anything that was displayed on it. And Stopette would have benefited from the fact that it was a visible um, sign of belonging to a certain type of class. This is Virginia Smith. She's the author of Clean, a history of personal hygiene and purity. Virginia says that before the invention of deodorant, people used perfume, dabbing it under their arms. And it wasn't until the late 1800s and early 1900s that deodorants, which fight odor-causing bacteria, and antiperspirants, which help stop sweat, became products you could actually buy. Some had gimmicky names like Odorono. Get it? Odor? Oh no? Another one was called Mum, as in Mum's the word, because of course nobody talked about perspiration, let alone other bodily functions in public. At first, it was just women who were targeted with these products, but then advertisers came for men too. Sorry, Walt. It's all right. Nothing broken. They don't tell me a big he-man like you uses a deodorant. Not a deodorant, Dan. Stop that spray deodorant. And there's nothing sissy about it. Ah, go on. Listen, it isn't only heat that makes us perspire. Excitement will do it too. Pressure of business. Any kind of tension. Yes, but does this really work on men? Yeah, doggone right it does. Stopette was both a deodorant and an antiperspirant. But it also stood out from its competitors because Dr. Montagnier had figured out a way to make a formula that wouldn't ruin clothes and irritate skin. Two of the side effects of antiperspirants at the time that were aluminum chloride-based and highly acidic. Even more impressive, though, was Stopette's sophisticated delivery system. The product itself was... was you know, daringly modern. While other brands came as creams or liquids in tins and glass jars, designed to be patted on with the fingertips or applied with a flannel pad, Stopette spritzed its sweat and odor-fighting liquid when you squeezed it. So the, the spray that you're talking about and that particular product um, is purely to do with the invention of polyethylene. Polyethylene is a plastic, one that's used these days to make everything from children's toys to shopping bags. Dr. Montagnier knew he wanted to use the material, but he needed help. So he found a company called Plax Corporation that was making Christmas tree ornaments by blow-molding plastic, a process that's a little like filling a balloon with air. And he worked with them to create something that would hold his product. And the result was a soft, flexible bottle. 
All you needed to do was squeeze it and... Poof! There goes perspiration. Hold the bottle upright and you get this fine, misty spray. Yes, here at last is the truly modern deodorant. No sticky fingers, no mess, no waste. Oops! But don't worry, that marvelous Stopette bottle can't break, leak, or spill. So yeah, the fact that Stopette wasn't fragile and didn't spill easily were big selling points, especially for anyone traveling, which people were doing a lot more of in the 1950s when commercial airlines were first becoming popular. But while Stopette modernized personal grooming by introducing packaging that was durable and convenient, it also marked the beginning of the beauty industry's plastic problem. And by problem, I mean the estimated 120 billion units of packaging, much of it plastic, that are produced every year by the global cosmetics industry. Scientists have predicted that by 2050, about 12,000 metric tons of plastic waste will be in landfills or our natural environment. I'm Sarah Daniel, and in this episode of Hidden Beauty, we've teamed up with Elle Canada to tell the story behind how Stopette was a catalyst for the cosmetic industry's obsession with plastic and how beauty brands today are trying to turn things around, changing how we define green beauty. On the heels of his success with Stopette, Dr. Montagnier made a few more products in a similar bottle. First, it was Poof Deodorant Body Powder, and then he went in a completely different direction and invented a shampoo, one that would go on to become a household name. Naturally, he promoted that on What's My Line during ad breaks. This is our regular commercial time, but tonight I'd like to read you something from Glamour magazine. It's an article called The Doctor Does It Again. And quite naturally, the doctor is our own famous Dr. Jules Montagnier. Let me read you the first paragraph. Dr. Jules Montagnier, famous as the originator of Stop It Spray Deodorant, has a new product which promises to be as sensational as Stop It. This latest edition is Finesse Flowing Cream Shampoo, a gold-colored cream highly concentrated so that a little makes abundant lather. Finesse removes dirt and excess oils from the surface of the hair and scalp in one sudsing. And Finesse cleanses by floating action, tends to leave natural oils on hair and scalp where they belong. The result is clean hair, which retains its natural luster. The unique container for Finesse is of molded, unbreakable plastic that works with the bellows action like an accordion. Slight pressure on the sides of the bottle flows this new cream shampoo directly on the scalp. The article goes on to explain... Dr. Montagnier's unbreakable bottle had moved from the bathroom cabinet to the shower, showcasing its versatility. And before long, it became the preferred packaging for other beauty products, from shaving cream to suntan lotion replacing glass and metal as the material of choice for the cosmetics industry. In his book, American Plastic, the author Jeffrey Meikle even name-checks Stopette as a pivotal moment in the history of plastic packaging. He says, quote, Although fans originally touted the plastic squeeze bottle for its durability, by the mid-1950s, they were celebrating its disposability. In the words of one commentator, plastic's future was in the garbage can. That future is now. 
Let's talk about plastic waste. Is the packaging in your supermarket out of control? We're back with an alarming new report that came out this past week on the state of the world's oceans, specifically the finding that they contain far more plastic than first thought. Plastic, of course, doesn't decay. It does, though, break down into tiny particles, some of them too small to be seen. And, of course, plastic debris killing an estimated 100,000 marine mammals each year. A new study says there are mind-boggling 5.25 trillion pieces of plastic in the world's oceans. Once known as the Great Pacific Garbage Patch covers about 1.6 square kilometers. 8 million metric tons of plastic ends up in the world's ocean. That's enough two-liter plastic bottles to go to the moon and back twice. These headlines are making many of us take a closer look at what's inside our makeup bags and Marie Kondoing our grooming routines. In fact, market intelligence agency Mintel says that the zero waste movement is one of the biggest trends for 2019. I'm Victoria DiPlacido. I'm the beauty director at El Canada. A big part of Victoria's job is knowing the latest trends. And she says the once popular 12-step Korean-inspired skincare routine or YouTube and Instagram makeup tutorials that call for 20 or more products, those are falling out of favor because consumers are looking for ways to reduce waste in all aspects of their lives. You know, there's so much presented to us as consumers. And I think particular in beauty now, people are saying, well, hold on a second. Like, do I really need all this? Like, do I need all this stuff? Consumers want to buy products that are fabulous products and work really well, but they don't want that at the expense of, you know, the environment. These days, environmentally friendly can mean everything from choosing a sunscreen that won't harm the coral reef to switching to a shampoo that's made by a beauty brand that uses solar or wind power in its manufacturing facilities. And while organic ingredients and clean formulas free of things like parabens, sulfates, silicones are important, it's not just what's inside that counts. I think consumers are particularly conscious of excess packaging right now. If you've ever bought even a single beauty product, you know how overly packaged so many products are. Take the plastic wrap off, then I'm going to open the you know, mascara box, and I take out the mascara, mascara, and it's wrapped in foil, or it's like wrapped in something else. And then to get to the product, it's like, okay, I had to remove three layers of packaging, and then you're just sitting there with like all this packaging in front of you in your one little product. Um, and maybe that's something that didn't bother people before, and I feel like... It's really bothering people now, and brands need to pay attention. And many are paying attention. Earlier this year, Lush, a pioneer in the packaging-free movement, doubled down on its zero-waste goals, opening its third entirely package-free store in the UK after launching them in Milan and Berlin. The other thing that brands are doing is they're giving their plastic waste a second life with the help of a company called TerraCycle. If you go back to, say, the turn of the century, 1920s, You know, our grandparents or their parents, they had the most beautiful beauty packaging, you know, crystal. They they like the type of stuff we find at flea markets today, like unbelievable, cool, you know, precious materials, gold plated, you know, uh, 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 beautiful crystal being used and so on for powder and lipstick and all that. This is Tom Sasky. He's the founder of TerraCycle. They work with different brands to turn their waste into things like playground equipment and watering cans. Tom says it was just after World War II when packaging changed from something to keep to something to throw away. That's when disposability really became vogue. Um, and it won because it brought you know, to 
the sort of, you know, and this is very sort of uh, uh, stereotypical because roles were a bit more stereotypical then, but it brought to the homemaker who was sort of a slave to her environment, you know, washing dishes by hand, you know, all this work, amazing amount of convenience and affordability. And that, you know, also helped uh, uh, liberate her from, you know, that overall setting. And that's why disposability won on every category from cosmetics to food, to clothing, to everything was this, Instead of having to sew your clothes, you could buy fast fashion. Instead of having to wash your dishes, you could buy disposable plates, you know, et cetera. Um, and it's that convenience and amazing affordability. You know, the range of cosmetics you could have in your home exploded because it became much cheaper. And those are big virtues. Those, none, none of those are negatives. The negative is the, the, out, the effect of what that creates. And while many of us know what to do with cereal boxes and yogurt containers when we're done with them... We're far from experts elsewhere in the house. So when you look at people's recycling, they're really good recycling in the kitchen, but really bad at recycling in the bathroom. We just haven't been as tuned in to how to dispose of these products in our showers and under our bathroom sinks. There's also the fact that you can't just toss your empty moisturizer in the recycling bin. That would be wish cycling. First, you have to figure out whether your local recycling depot can even process that particular material. Then you need to rinse it out so there's no contamination. And fingers crossed, the label washes off because if it stays put, that item is going straight to a landfill. That's where TerraCycle comes in. It has Dropbox programs in stores where you can bring in your empty beauty products and mail-in programs with partners like EOS, where consumers can send their empty lip balm pots to be repurposed into park benches and bike racks. TerraCycle's also working with hair care brand Herbal Essences to clean up beaches by turning the plastics that are washing up on shores into shampoo and conditioner bottles. The Body Shop is taking a different approach toward the problem of plastic pollution in our oceans. This month, it's launching its Community Trade Recycled Plastic Program in Bengaluru, India. On assignment with El Canada, Victoria traveled to Bengaluru to learn more about it, and she spoke to Lee Mann. I'm Lee Mann and I'm the Global Community Trade Manager that I've been at The Body Shop for around 20 years. And as part of my role is to work directly with the community groups that we buy and trade materials in. We believe in tackling the plastics um, crisis differently. We believe in cleaning up our environment. We believe in stopping plastics from getting into the environment in the first place. Lee says that one of the best lines of defense to preventing plastics from getting into the environment is tapping into the informal waste-picking economy, which exists in parts of the world that don't have a formal waste management system in place like we do in North America. India alone has more than a million waste-pickers who collect thousands of tons of garbage daily that would otherwise end up in the ocean. And while these waste-pickers are trying to make a living... They face so many hardships, like poor working conditions, harassment, financial instability, and health issues. Working with disadvantaged groups and putting the planet first is something that The Body Shop has built its business on since it was founded by human rights activist and environmental advocate Anita Roddick. The Body Shop, we've got 32 years of community trade, working directly with um, marginalized groups of people around the world to trade in materials that they have access to or skills at producing that we want to buy. So I was convinced that why couldn't we also apply that to tackle some of the world's biggest problems today, both environmentally and social, with plastics. The Body Shop's goal? Clean up plastic pollution, turning it into bottles for its hair care and eventually other products in its stores, 
while partnering with a nonprofit called Plastics for Change and local organizations to make sure that waste pickers, many of whom are women, receive a fair, predictable income for their work and far better working conditions. Most of these women who are now in their late 30s, early 40s, have been waste picking since they were children. Um, and a lot of the time it was because um, you know, their parents needed the money or their parents had to stay home with younger um, their younger siblings, so they took it upon themselves at like 10 years old, even younger, to go out and, and collect this waste and kind of be the breadwinners for the family. They told us when we asked them about their hopes and dreams were, you know, I want my children to be educated. I don't want my children to be waste pickers. I want them to have a better life than I do. These are goals that are achievable for them all through the buying and selling of plastic. While brands like The Body Shop focus on cleaning up the plastic that exists, Tom Sasky is working on getting rid of it altogether. And frankly, I think the entire idea of recycling uh, behaves in the way of, you know, uh, sort of an imperfect solution to a crisis we're in today. So again, I want to say it's critically important, right? It's really important we do it. But there is no perfect recycling platform anywhere in the world. And that realization is what birthed Loop. Loop is a new waste-free shopping program developed by TerraCycle and a group of companies in the cosmetics industry that's being piloted in New York and Paris before it launches globally. Here's how it works. When you order things like deodorant, toothpaste, or shampoo, you'll pay a deposit for the bottle, and when it's finished, it'll be picked up by Loop, cleaned, refilled, and ready to use again. Does this sound familiar? If so, it might be because Loop was inspired by the milkman. The day of the horse-drawn cart with its leisurely pace has disappeared to be replaced by the most modern bulk pickup and home delivery trucks, bringing the freshest possible milk to you in a matter of hours in a convenient, easy-to-pour container. When we first really researched Loop on how did consumers interact with their products before disposability, because the lesson was that you know disposability is the creation of waste. So well, what was it like before? And the milkman model is like the iconic model of how products were delivered before disposability came onto the scene in the 1950s. Now, that model wasn't just for milk, though. It was for motor oil. It was for cheese. It was for uh, cosmetics and all these different things. But it revolved around this sort of mass scale, globally accepted idea of keep your packaging durable and have it go around and around and around. It's also an example that's nostalgic, and it resonates with people, which Tom thinks will help more of them sign up for Loop. The Milkman is also a very lovable character. It's a very human character. And so I think that's why it becomes the iconic um, example of that movement, if you will. With Loop, it's not just about sustainability. It's about the, you know, the future of consumption, where in the future, your products are just way better, you know, way more beautifully designed, way more functional, higher quality materials, like just better. Oh, and by the way, it's unconsciously reusable. And so it's trying to echo the accepted behavior that consumers have around products, which is throw them all into a bin and move on and don't sort, don't clean, don't care, right? Like treat it like garbage. And that was very conscious because our goal is to try to get not just the green consumers in Loop, but the folks who are even anti-environment. And I think we can win them, not because of sustainability, but because the products are just so amazing. Stop at Squeeze Bottle may have ushered in the era of plastic packaging for beauty products, but the arrival of Loop may mean the end of it altogether. Which takes us back to Dr. Montagnier. He eventually sold his business to another beauty company called Helene Curtis. 
As I was working on this story, I was wondering, did he ever have any regrets? Like another inventor who pioneered a product that has become a major source of plastic waste, John Sylvan, the man behind single-use coffee pods who sold his company to Kerrig. In a moment of reflection John had during an interview with The Atlantic, he said, I feel bad sometimes that I ever did it. But if you ask Lee Mann, plastic itself isn't the bad guy. So in my view, plastic has been really demonised and it's been completely devalued and we just don't respect it anymore. And yet plastic is not the enemy. It's what we do with it that's the problem. So what should we do with it? Well, to start, we can buy less of it, reuse what we have, recycle better, lobby our governments and send a message to cosmetic brands with our wallets. I mean, they tell you this when you're when you're in elementary school. They're like, purchasing power, it, you know, where you spend your money has so much impact. And now it's just taken on a whole new meaning for me. I really think about, you know, where I'm shopping and the products that I'm buying and, and what I'm giving my money to. This episode of Hidden Beauty was produced by John Harry and me, Sarah Daniel, with files from Victoria Di Placido. If you'd like to hear more about Victoria's trip to India and the Body Shop's Community Trade Recycled Plastic Program, visit lcanada.com. Thanks to James Bennett for his research help and Jed Tallow with an assist from Selena Vanderhorn for the episode cover art. And a special thank you to Adrian and Scarlett Harry for letting us set up a makeshift recording studio among diapers and onesies. Thanks so much for listening to Hidden Beauty.